When was the last time you were able to rejoice from the bottom of your heart? And I'm not talking about you know, because you went to a party, all right? Party all the time, party all the time. And, uh, and I'm not talking about even the unexpected check that came in the mail today. I'm not talking about any of those things. I mean, just rejoice because of the goodness of God. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. And today, uh, we're going to walk through a couple of passages of scriptures, beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And we're going to talk about some of the reasons that we can rejoice, the reasons that we can rejoice in the Lord. So please, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Very easy. As a matter of fact, some of you, your memories are so great, you can just glance at that and then be able to recite it right off the bat. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, Rejoice. And there is one, maybe we'll add that for next, the next time. If you are a believer, then one of the things that we need to do as believers is that we need to accept the fact that our rejoicing and that the joy that we have is rooted in Jesus Christ. So as a believer, our joy is rooted in Jesus Christ. But first, we must ask the question of ourselves, does this idea of rejoicing, is this the same as being commanded to be happy? So is the Apostle Paul saying that you need to be happy? Is rejoicing and happiness the same thing? Happiness can be, uh, be defined as enjoying, showing, or marked by joy or pleasure. Enjoying, showing, or marked by joy or pleasure. Here's another one. Enjoying or characterized by well-being and contentment. Eric Hoffer, he says this in his piece called The Passionate State of Mind. He says that the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. He says again that the search for happiness is one of the chief source sources of unhappiness. In other words, he says that if your lifelong dream is to be happy, if your lifelong dream is uh, that you want to constantly be in a state of happiness, he says that what you're going to end up with is unhappiness. Boy, what a fatalistic view of happiness, isn't it? But know this about Eric Hoffer. This comes from a person that he lost his sight at the age of seven. Two years afterwards, his mother passed away. Years later, he spent ten years on skid row. After that, he contemplated suicide. And then he figured that he would help solve his problems by joining the army, so he went to enlist in the army, 
And they said, no, we don't want you. He considered himself to be an atheist. See, when you have no hope, when it seems like all the doors are closed before you, then your view of happiness uh, seems to be very fatalistic. So I'm not sure what he would say to us today if you were to ask him about happiness or rejoicing for that matter. But based on his writings, I would probably say he would uh, tell us that not to waste your time on happiness. But understand this, that the Word of God, that Scripture, that Jesus, they never tell us to be happy. God never tells you to be happy. Even though some translations, you may come to some portions in certain translations that it may say happy is the person or happy is the person, right? But the word inherent there is this idea of being blessed at the end of the day. But Scripture never commands us to be happy. You're saying, but I thought that uh, when I finally gave my life to Christ that I'm going to be happy, happy all the time. <laughs> Understand this, that our idea of happiness or rejoicing is totally different from what Scripture says. You see, for us, this state of happiness or the ability to rejoice means that there is a constant state of contentment in us about our state of being. All of our needs are being met. If we're happy, right? You know, I got all my bills paid off. You know, uh, my wife loves me or my husband loves me. Uh, my children are uh, A honoro students. Uh, uh, they are off to college. I have a great job that pays plenty of money, and I have plenty of benefits. My house is together. I have no issues with my house. My dog is good. Everything is good, so therefore I'm happy. And I tell you right. Some of us think that we're happy when we're totally healed. When we have no aches and pains. We believe that we can rejoice when we no longer have to take our daily trek down to the medicine cabinet in order to take our medicine for whatever may ail us. Then, if I no longer have to do that, then I will be happy. The fact remains that the plight of the human race after the fall uh, is replete with diverse events, which seems to assure us that as long as you live on this earth in the skin that you're currently in, that you may not be happy. Think about this for a moment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember as a child, one of the things that my mother used to always say, she used to always say, if it ain't one thing, it's another I used to always wonder, why does she always say, if it ain't one, you know, she always had a little snarly thing going on. If it ain't one thing, it's another. Stuff's always going on. Right? 
But when I became older, I began to understand and to identify with that plight. You know, you think, I think of our home, right? And you think you're trying, you know, you know how it is. You're always trying to get your house together, right? Amen? There's always something going on with your house. You know, uh, my wife and I, years ago, we had a house built that was brand new. Brand spanking new. And we had issues with the house, didn't we? You see? It's always something you, you, you take care of problem A, then next thing you know, a couple of months later, problem B shows up. They say, well, I'm going to take care of this, right? Take care of problem B, and then problem C shows up. It's always something, right? You even want to get your kids together. You get your kids straight here. Everything is going good, and next thing you know, they're coming home with a cold. You get the cold straightened out, next thing you know, they're having problems with some, some other kid at school. You get that straightened out, next thing you know, I need new shoes. Be like I used to do, well, you're going to wear them shoes, and we're just going to cut out the back, and you're gonna, we're going to see what's going to happen after that. Always something. And we try uh, to keep it all under control because we say that once we get it under control, then we will be happy. Then we can rejoice. But you just know this scripture never commands you to be happy. But scripture does command us to rejoice. Huh. There's a flip there. It doesn't tell us to be happy, but it does tell us to rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says, rejoice. These are commands. These are not suggestions. He's saying that we are to rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. So the believer's ability to rejoice or to have joy is not wrapped up in our emotions or certain feelings that we may have. Say that, you know, only when I get the, uh, the, uh, the, the flutters, right, then I can rejoice. Right, only uh, when all of my needs are met, uh, then I can rejoice. Well, that's simply not the case. It's not contingent upon those things. Why? Because number one, as you and I both know, that all of our needs will never be met on this side of heaven. All of your needs, they will not be met on this side of heaven. So if you are looking to be happy or, or to be able to rejoice, know that there will be problems. You keep on living, there will be problems. You want no problems? Then you need to go on the other side of this existence. So number one, all of our needs will never be met on this side of heaven. Two, your feelings or our feelings and emotions will change as much as the weather does. In which it does all the time. Every time you look around, it's up, it's down, it's left, it's right, it's raining, it's snowing, it's hailing, it's this, it's flooding. If our feelings or emotions become a barometer as to whether or not we will be able to rejoice, then they are not reliable. So you can't say, I will know I'm happy when I feel it. See, that's not what Paul is speaking of when he's speaking of 
rejoicing. So therefore, the ability for us as Christians to rejoice is rooted not in humanity's ability to be happy, right? Because that's only temporal. It's only temporary. But it goes beyond this earthly and this fleshly sphere, nevertheless. Our ability as Christians to rejoice is rooted in this place, in the person we call Jesus Christ, who gives us an expectation and a hope for our future. So if we can rejoice, we don't rejoice because of us, we rejoice because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our future is in His hands. He is alive and well and continues to await us in heaven. It is for love's sake that He waits. It is for love that He endures our nonsense yet another day. So if God Himself in and through person of Jesus Christ awaits us with great joy, and then that means that we should have the ability to rejoice, to find contentment, to find everything that we really want in Jesus Christ. Your rejoicing is not even rooted whether or not someone does something for you. Amen? No, our rejoicing is not rooted in the fact of uh, how well things go on the job. Uh, so even if things don't go well on the job, you should still be able to rejoice always in the Lord. Why? Because Jesus has settled it once and for all for us. And if Jesus has settled it, that means that we should be content in all that He has set forth for us. So it is for love's sake that he waits. It is for love that he endures our nonsense yet another day. At the cemetery yesterday, I had a uh, quick conversation with the grave digger. I call that grave digging evangelism. Frankly, this was the first time that I actually had a, a conversation with a grave digger, especially at the gravesite. Having witnessed one person after another being placed in the ground, it was my thought uh, that uh, maybe his theology was straight. But the grave digger was struggling. After the body had gone down, and I had said my final words, the grave digger, he came to me. And I was thinking, I didn't, I'm not sure what he wanted to talk about. I thought maybe, I don't know, maybe I stepped on his foot or something like that. And he said, uh, excuse me. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just wondering, what happens to the body after we put him in the ground? And I'm like, I know, you know, he probably heard me commit the body to the ground. And, uh, but he wants to know what happens to the body after they put it in the ground. 
So in my mind, I'm asking, I'm, I'm going through a bazillion things at the same time because, you know, my mind wasn't on that aspect of evangelism. You know, my mind was here with the family and that just it caused me to quickly change gears. It was raining. It was muddy. It was cold. Lots of people around. And he asks me this question. And he was sincere. He was looking at me in the eye. I said, well, first thing I told him out of all the, uh, the graves that you have dug, that even though you have placed them in the ground, that one day they're all coming up. Whether you've done good or whether you've done bad, it doesn't make a difference. Every single body that has been placed in these grounds, that one day they come, they come up when Jesus comes back. One day, they're all coming up. But the difference is, what happens after it's over with? Some will be eternally with God, while others will be eternally separated in that place we call hell. So here, we're at the gravesite, and I'm talking about hell. So then I'm looking at him, and he, he's still looking at me very intensely. I'm like, maybe I need to take a step back. Maybe I, now, maybe I just crossed the line. Maybe he's about ready to hit me. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, what, I'm like what's going on? He's like, I, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, that I've done some bad things in my life. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I, I gave my life to Christ, but afterward I, I, I've done some bad things, and I'm trying to, to figure out how does God view me? I said, have you confessed? Have you confessed your sin before the Lord? He says, I have. I said, well, brother, if you have confessed that sin before the Lord, because Scripture says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you all of, of your right, uh, cleanse you of all of righteousness, all the things that you've done, that He will cleanse you. Then all of a sudden, it was like a weight had lifted off of His shoulders. And He says, really? I said, really? He's like, wow. Really? I said, absolutely. I said, God loves you. That he will take all the things that you have done and he will cast them into the sea of forgiveness, uh, for, uh, the, the sea of uh, forgiveness, and he will forget all those things and move beyond these things and say, son, that I love you. And now he was relieved. And then he begins to share with me, well, you know, at the church, and, and then I begin to get it, because uh, oftentimes there is a level of guilt that's placed upon us, and we're unable to walk in the grace and in the love of God that he gives us. So then I just, share, I just reassured him, and again, he was still feeling light. Then I went to the car, and then my wife said, I saw you talking to him. Did you give it? I said, well, I didn't have anything, you know, I don't, uh, graves, I don't carry that kind of stuff in my pocket here. She said, well, maybe you need to write your number down. I'm like, it's raining outside, you know. And she said, well, maybe you should do that. I'm like, okay, all right. Right, so I write my number on a sheet of paper, one of the church stickies, right, with the church uh, uh, website on it. I put my uh, personal number on there, and then I get out, and, then, and I'm about to walk up there to the car, and what does he do? He jumps down in the hole. 
I'm like, I'm like, okay, all right, okay, Lord. And I kind of stopped. I'm like, oh, let's go, let's go, because, you know, my wife, she's looking at me now, so <laughs> let, me, let me just go. Uh, she's going to tell the story one day, so let me just go ahead and, and man up and go on over here, right? You know, so I, I, I go there. He, he's bent over, and he, and he sees me walking, and he takes his glove off. And it was, it was a, 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 very, a very interesting sight. So he takes his glove. I could see him. He takes his glove off, and then you can see the hand come up out the hole like that. So he knew I was about to give him something, so I gave him my number. He said, thanks so much. I'll be calling you. So this idea that God has this love for us. See, in that, uh, we're able to rejoice, and it is not, again, a temporal joy, but it is one of permanence that we can have in the Lord. So knowing this should arouse our faith as it grows unhindered uh, by our circumstance. So in that, we're able to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice! So we rejoice in the Lord because of the joy He has settled in our hearts and the pursuit of more rejoicing in the Lord will not disappoint, but it will satisfy. But here's a reason to rejoice. Rejoice because of a life well lived in Christ. Rejoice because of a life well lived in Christ. Of Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I likewise, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me, he says. While you are not good enough to obtain your own salvation, we should be good because it pleases God. Being blameless, innocent, and without blemish pleases the Lord. When, and when we please the Lord, we can again rejoice in the Lord. But doesn't it feel good when you had a good day? You know, a good day when it feels like nobody got on your nerves. A good day that when somebody did get on your nerves that you stayed so anchored and rooted in Jesus Christ that you did not sin, that your mind was straight and everything went well. It feels good when you live a day, a day that's been pleasing to the Lord. As I always mention, we will stumble. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to trip sometimes. There's no question about it. But it's important that we get up and that we learn our lessons and we try again in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it yourself, but we need to do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. As someone once said, 
and I quote, Whoso neglects learning in his youth loses the past and is dead to the future. Whoso neglects learning in his youth loses the past and is dead for the future. So learn your lesson while you have time. Because later on, it just might be too late. What lesson is God trying to teach you today? Have you learned it? Or are you waiting for God to bring a two-by-four upside your spiritual head? God asked us about Philippians 2, verse 14. What has grumbling and disputing gotten you in the past? All that hell that you have been raised, you said, well, because of the hell that I have risen, that it has allowed me to move beyond my wildest expectations. Therefore, I am happy to say that some of the grumbling and the complaining and the pushing and the knocking and the hitting that I have done, that it has accomplished a lot for me. But, 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 But the scripture says that we should not be grumblers and disputing all the time. Bottom line is most people who grumble and dispute, they just can't have their way. And when they can't have their their way, uh, they cause all kinds of problems for everybody. For everybody. They may be happy, but there's a bunch of other folks that are not happy. So going back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if God is working in and through us, then why are we acting as if it all depends upon us that we are representing ourselves in the matter? So it's not dependent upon you, because you already know everything that we put our hand to, somehow we have a tendency to monk it up. For a life well lived in the Lord, Paul says, that he can rejoice with the saints. When you share with a believer that you're able to conquer a problem, especially a problem with sin, after having struggled with it for years, don't you know that they rejoice with you? I know that you may not want to to spread all your sin, but what are you trying to accomplish with that sin? Are you trying to get free in the power of the Spirit, or are you just languishing in that sin? Paul says that these believers, that they struggle, then heard that they should not grumble and complain. And when they were successful, they were all able to rejoice and celebrate in the Lord together. Then Paul tells the believers uh, to look at his life and rejoice. He told them that he was suffering. Philippians 2, verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul was experiencing a great time of deep faith. A time when the rubber met the road. Paul was not theorizing about Scripture. He was not just simply talking about the Word of God and not walking that, but he was talking it and he was walking what he was speaking and writing about. 
Paul who says rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, was sitting in jail when he wrote that. Paul was in jail. There was no DNA to exonerate him. They were after him. Why? Uh, did they put him in jail because he was stealing? Absolutely not. Well, was he in jail because uh, he was fighting folks? Absolutely not. Uh, he was in jail for sharing about Jesus Christ. His crime was talking about Jesus. When was the last time somebody didn't like you because you spoke of Jesus Christ? When was the last time that happened? He felt as if his end was drawing near. That's why he says he's being poured out as a drink offering. As you can imagine, uh, let's say a cup of wine that would be poured out uh, for a sacrifice, right? Have the cup up like this, and all the liquid that's in that particular cup, that container, represents his life. And Paul says he can feel his life drip, drip, drip. And there's almost nothing else left. There's a few drops left. He feels as if he's right at the very end. But understand, he did it all for them. He gave his life for them. He did it so that many would have freedom in Jesus Christ, and no longer be bound by sin. In this he said, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad and rejoice with you, Paul. You're being poured out as a drink offering. How can we be glad and rejoice in that? Uh, you're saying you're coming to the end. What is there to celebrate? What is there to celebrate, Paul? In essence, he says, to be able to celebrate the fact that he has done it all for Jesus. He felt as if he had lived a life well for Jesus Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God. Will you and I be able to rejoice in the Lord because of the lives we have lived? Lies that we have lived well for Jesus and his cause. Next reason, rejoice at prayer and the Spirit's help that it results in answers. Rejoice that prayer and the Spirit's help results in answers. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and I'm reading at the end of verse 18. I'm not sure if you're noticing the pattern here that's going on, but you notice that we're actually walking backwards in the Word of God. Did you notice that? We're starting at the end of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, uh, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am in a win-win situation, so it doesn't make a difference. It seems like an easy one to be able to rejoice when God is actively answering your prayers. 
He says, I know, in essence, that when you pray that God is going to bring uh, my deliverance, but at the end of the day, whether I stay and, uh, and encourage you, or whether I go on to be with the Lord, that I am in a win-win situation. Why? Because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am a winner. You don't want to know what a winner is? Paul says he's a winner. Are you a winner in the Lord? Again, this is something of a weird way to rejoice. Because Paul says that he will be delivered regardless of his circumstances. It's weird because he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What? Paul has a big view of God, a big view of theology. Paul understands his position in Christ. See, by continuing on this earth, we are continuously a part of God's plan to bring people to Himself and see them mature in the faith. And this is something that the adversary, he hates that. If you're helping bring someone else along uh, within the faith, the devil, he hates that. But this is a win for Christ. Paul goes on to say that, again, even if he dies, it's a game because then he would be present with the Lord. And again, either way, it's a victory for Paul. Either way, it's a victory for God. Amen? Paul also says, rejoice that the gospel moves forward regardless of obstacles. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, through the first part of verse 18. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You know, there are times, quite frankly, that we... Uh, sometimes believe the message of, uh, of our gospel, our gospel, right? Is that it's not getting out, that it's not being effective. And it's especially so, especially when there are charlatans out here who are uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all because of some type of financial gain or they're trying to get their names in the newspaper or they're trying to build some type of big building. Uh, uh, Paul says that it doesn't make a difference whether they're, they're doing it for real or for, or for fake. If they are proclaiming the, Jesus, uh, the, the message of Jesus Christ, he says, in that I'm able to rejoice. Why? Because he's sitting behind bars. And he is believing in the power of Jesus Christ to get his word moving forward. Now, does that mean that when we come across people who are no good and they're using the word of God, we don't say, we don't say anything? That when they're in it for the money, we say, well, praise the Lord. You're doing a great job. Absolutely not. We know what the word is and we are supposed to speak into that. Amen? Amen. Don't be fooled now. Stuff that's wrong, call it wrong. So Paul's situation, it just doesn't make sense. But he also says here in 1 Corinthians 1.27, 1 Corinthians 1.27, he says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So uh, God sometimes uses those things uh, which doesn't make sense to us in order to forward his program. 
A guy named Blake, he says, a fool sees not the same tree that a wise man sees. So that person who's doing it in pretense, right, that they themselves don't even understand the very power that's behind the words, the very spirit that's behind there, but yet Jesus says that He's going to use it nevertheless. Finally, rejoice that other believers are truly concerned about you. Rejoice that others, other believers, are truly concerned about you. Now, I'm going to take you out of your habit of going to the beginning. We're going to go back to chapter 4 of Philippians, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I am to be content, he says, verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me, he says. In other words, uh, see, you, you see what Paul is saying? He is saying that he's able to rejoice regardless of what his needs are. Paul says his ability to rejoice is not based upon whether his needs are being met. You see that? So if your needs are not met, you still should be able to do what? Rejoice. Let's try that one more time, right? If all of your needs are not met, you still should be able to do what? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul says that the saints were concerned about him. This is another reason why he was able to rejoice. He says that people were checking up on him. Amen. And just the fact that they were checking up on him, they were concerned about him, that he was able to rejoice because they had, they had him on their mind. Isn't it good to know that people care about you? Isn't it good to know that people are praying for you? Can you say amen? Then you may say, but you know what? Didn't nobody call me yesterday. They didn't even call me last week. So I have a right not to rejoice. I have a right uh, to be mad because nobody called me yesterday. Look, understand. Understand Paul, right? Number one, Paul's in jail, right? In Philippians, Paul is in jail. It's called a prison epistle. But also, number two, understand that when people were checking in on Paul, number one, they couldn't call. Why? There were no telephones. Right? So they couldn't call every day. But number two, they couldn't send them an email. Why? There was no internet. They couldn't send them a text, you know, for the same reasons, right? There was no postal service, folks. So you couldn't put a, mail, a letter in the mail every day, and every day, uh, every other day or whatever it is, they expect to receive that mail. That didn't exist. So quite frankly, sometimes, well, there could have been people in uh, Philippi uh, that were saints who came and checked in on Paul. Uh, I'll give you that. But in essence, know that, that if you were checking in on someone in that situation, know that sometimes it could be months before someone said hello. 
It could have been months. But the question is, how can I rejoice because I have not received a phone call from someone yesterday? Well, you rejoice because you received a phone call two weeks or three weeks or a month or two months ago that we can rejoice in all these things knowing that the saints, that they are still concerned about me even though I don't see them, even though I don't hear them. I know within my heart that they love me and they are praying for me. And Paul says, in this I can rejoice. Can you say hallelujah? That's what I'm talking about. So you rejoice in the Lord. People care for you. The saints love you, regardless of who you are. But you don't have to feel lonely, but feel part of the family. So Paul says, rejoice because of a life well lived in Christ. Rejoice that prayer and the Spirit's help results in answers. He says, rejoice that the gospel of Jesus Christ moves forward unhindered. And then rejoice that other believers are truly concerned about you. And we can say, just as Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Can you say rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let's say hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 